Bibles this morning, and if you don't know where the, the book of Joel is, then I just say start with the middle, open to the middle, and, uh, and you should be at Psalms or Proverbs, and if you just start turning the pages to the left, uh, you'll go through the, the major prophets, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, you'll eventually get to Ezekiel, then Daniel, then the book that we studied a few weeks ago, Hosea, and then you'll end up uh, here at Joel. If you get to Amos, you've gone too far, all right? If you're joining us today for the first time, uh, welcome. On behalf of the Summit Church family, we are glad to have you with us today. And uh, if you're looking for a church body to be a part of, uh, our prayer for you is that He will lead you exactly where He wants you to be, and that that will be a place where you can grow, where you can be encouraged, where you can be an encourager in your walk with Christ, as well as a place where you can use the gifts God's given you and the way God has wired you to help that body become everything He's intended it to be. As pastor of this church, I'm just amazed at the number of members of the body that are stepping forward and saying, can I do this? <laughs> Here's something I want to do. And it's just really a wonderful, wonderful season right now. Now, I said, you know, to our guests, if you're looking for a church body to be a part of, I, I don't want to deny the fact that there may be someone here who's, who's here, and frankly, you're not looking for a church, and you don't have a clue why you're here. <laughs> and so you're trying to figure all this out, and I pray God will help you to understand that as well. We do want you to know that we are here at Summer Church teaching the Bible one book at a time, and we're pretty much taking those books verse by verse. And this takes us to the minor prophets. I mean, this is the dark, lost parts of our scriptures that we don't tend to hear taught and we don't tend to get to. Yet I'm by faith, I'm stepping out, believing that God has some amazing words that he wants to teach us because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful, okay, for training us up in, in the things of God. So two weeks ago, I started with you a study of, of the book of Joel. And uh, Joel's message basically has two movements to it. The first could have been taken from the newspapers of his day. Uh, a horrible locust plague has invaded the land, and it has destroyed every organic thing. It's terrible. There's no food, and there's great uncertainty in this time. But the second is, is a picture of the days leading up to what, what those of us who have this hope hold dear, that glorious day of the Lord but because that day also brings with it judgment, it's often referred to as the terrible day of the Lord. And so the idea here is prepare yourself for that great and terrible day of the Lord. And basically what Joel is teaching us here is look around, people. Look around at what's happening. Look at the devastation that these locusts have brought on and just be aware that this pales in comparison to what events will look like leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all this, there are some amazing statements that we need to understand about God and God's heart and who He is, as well as some amazing statements about what God requires of us. And one of my favorites last time, two weeks ago, was Joel 2, starting with verse 12. And uh, I have through 14a... In fact, I have that up here. Why don't you just read it with me? It's a beautiful passage, but I may just stop you along the way because a few things here. Okay, let's say this together. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Just stop right there and hear that. Return to me with all your heart. Let's go on. With fasting and weeping and mourning, 
Rend your heart, singular, keep going, and not your garments, plural, see it? Keep going. Return to the Lord your God. Now look at his attributes. Let's, let's read them together, but I just don't want you to miss them, okay? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Yeah, return to the Lord. So the application is to all who will hear. Come home to your Father. Hear His call and, and come home. But I also highlighted the word heart, singular, and garments, plural, because there's a very corporate nature in understanding scriptures. The Lord's Prayer, we were told to pray it, our Father, Right? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And in our independent American nature, we don't know what it is to do community with a people, but we were created to do community as a people. And if you want to get a picture of what that looks like, go to Acts chapter 2 and, and look at what happens to the early church. And, and, you know, when we compare what happened to the early church to what we see happening in the church in America today, we don't look anything like this, but what we need to understand is that this is what God wants us to become. And as we become this, we're becoming more and more, uh, more and more like Him. Well, I've entitled today's message, The Truth About Restored Glory, because all of the stuff about locust plagues, all of the stuff about armies attacking, moving in, this is not the story, okay? This merely is to get our attention to point us to some more crucial truths, which include the fact that in a fallen world, bad things happen. That there is a posture of blessing, but there is also a posture of difficulty. And, and the posture of blessing and the posture of difficulty are always happening simultaneously. Just like we talked about the great and final day of the Lord, that it's coming uh, as a wonderful day that we look forward to, but it's also a day of judgment. And so blessing and difficulty happening at the same time, and God's putting it before us. Choose what you want and realize that the blessing is, is in Him. And, and these are the kinds of things that we are to understand. But then to cap it all off with this thought that there is coming a day when God will set all things straight and he will rule, he will be in charge and we no longer have to go to the polls and, and vote our flesh and our wants and our consciences for the Lord God will be king and he will reign forever. Amen? Yeah, God is good. And all the time. <laughs> you better, better believe it. So this takes us to where we left off last time, Joel chapter 2, verse 18. And this is the restored glory all through here. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land. Notice the possessive nature of God here. His land. And take pity on his people. The Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Fully, never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. And the, the nations of the world that reject God love it when, when the people who claim God are being cursed or are having a difficult time. But what they don't realize is that if, like, you go to, to Europe and they all say, you call yourself a Christian nation, but we know what you do. See, and the reality is if America's going through difficulties, it's not because of the God we serve. It's because we've removed ourselves from his blessing. 
okay? And that's the reality. And so God's saying he's going to restore so that the other nations won't make you an object of scorn. Look at those Christians. Look at those Jews. Look what they're going through. Look what they are, okay? I will drive out the northern army far from you, pushing it into the parched and barren land with its front columns going into the eastern sea and those in the rear into the western sea. And its stench will go up, its smell will rise. Surely he, the Lord God, has done great things. So Joel is talking here about this plague of locusts, a terrible plague of, of locusts, but he's using it to foreshadow the greater events that are going to unfold when armies will come against Israel but ultimately when the, the nations of the world will align themselves up against God in a haughty way, thinking we're going to destroy this God once and for all. And I've mentioned several times that the northern kingdoms did move in and attack the northern kingdom of Israel, which is called Israel proper. And these Assyrian armies also tried to move in on the, the southern part of, of the nation as well. Well, it's a divided kingdom, but the southern part of the territory as well, Judah, okay? But King Hezekiah, realizing what was about to happen, and by the way, if you're reading our, our prescribed Bible reading plan this week, I just love it when this happens. King Hezekiah was in our reading this week, okay? And, and you see this, that the threat of the Assyrian armies on the south, but the difference with Hezekiah is he humbles himself and he cries out to God, and as a result, Judah doesn't even have to lift a finger. In fact, it's recorded two different places verbatim. First, or Second Kings chapter 18, verse 35, and Isaiah chapter 37, verse 36. It says this, The angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. Hallelujah. Why is it? that our country has never had a, a foreign, fight a foreign war on our, old, on our own soil until 9-11. And could it be connected with the fact that when we remove ourselves from God and we begin to kick Him out of our schools, that we also remove ourselves from His blessing, right? But, but these locusts, if, if you can imagine this horrific locust plague, so thick that it's like darkness, like nighttime in the day, and now these locusts start to die, and you got to get them out of the city, so you're piling them up. Can you imagine the stench of that? But also, the stench of 185,000 corpses that the Lord suddenly destroyed. Imagine that. And then you read in Revelation and other prophecies, and you think about the Battle of Armageddon and the horror of stench that's going to come up as people literally go to war against God and find out who the strong arm really really is verse 21 be not afraid O land be glad and rejoice surely the Lord has done great things now I want you to compare that verse with Psalm 126 verse 3 would you read this verse with me Psalm 126 verse 3 it's there on the screen let's read it together the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy so compare those two verses, and what I want you to see there is many scholars believe that Psalm 126 was written during this time of Joel, and that this is the exact same expression. So the application here is to all who are afraid, 
to all who are scared, to all who watch the news and think about the possibilities of things that may come our way. Do the one thing that we as a church want to be about. And what is that one thing? Yes, I'm glad you're getting it. All eyes on Jesus because he alone is your source of joy. And there can be joy to be experienced in the Lord even in the most difficult of times. Okay, and that is not being superficial at all in any way. Going on, verse 22. Notice how all of this affects nature. It says, be not afraid, O wild animals, for the open pastures are becoming green. If you can imagine these locusts destroying every organic thing. Remember the verses last week, there was no food for them. But rejoice, right? It's becoming green. The trees are bearing their fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their riches I was just, when I was writing on this, I was just thinking about the alluvial fan there in the National Park, one of my favorite places to take people. But man, the trees are really coming alive there. And, uh, you know, part of me is kind of disappointed because seeing that devastation, you know, is a very awesome picture. But you can still see it in there. Yet the new stuff is growing. And that's what this is a picture of here. Be glad, O people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains in righteousness. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn, and your Bible may say former, and spring, your Bible may say latter, rains as before. Without the former rains, those rains that happen in conjunction with planting the winter crop, which would be October, November. And without the latter rains, those rains that come just before harvest time in March and April, it would be impossible for farmers to raise crops. And when people align themselves with God and with God's blessing, the rains seem to cooperate in a beautiful way. When people disalign themselves with God, it's as though there's always this fear and uncertainty, will the rains come in, in a timely way? One of the things that I, I read this week, and I was trying to validate it, but I couldn't, but I still I got a blessing from it, was how over the last 1,800 years, this region of Israel has just become a wasteland, a dry, desolate place where nothing was growing. But in the last 100 years, now that the Jews have begun to make their way home, that once again the rains are returning in a timely way and, and cr crops are being raised. Now I realize that in there there's a little debate because there have been some times of drought in that 100 year period, but it appears that the vast sum of it has been the rains have come back and crops are being raised. And if that's true, then I just had to, I had to stop and say, glory to God because it just supports every promise and and it is the reality is every promise of God is true I just don't want to give you a piece that you know I haven't figured out quite yet and and pretend that there's something there that isn't but it's just amazing amazing to think about but the greater thing is that you and me are living in the time of blessing and and water in the scripture represents the, the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit was poured out, we can read it in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, of uh, uh, the religious festival of Pentecost, it began this season of the, 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 the former rains, okay? That's what was poured out on that day. But God promised that he was going to pour it out 
for a time. And after that rain, of the former rain was poured out, the church went into a time of darkness where there was great persecution. But you and me right now, we are in the time of latter rain. And the time of latter rain is very important because what happens is just before harvest time, the, the crops, if they don't get enough rain, they begin to dry out. They begin to turn brown so they're not making the kind of progress they need and their heads begin to sag. And we in the church, particularly the church in the West, we're dried out. Our heads are sagging. And we need some fresh rain. Now, I want you to hold on to that because it builds as we go here. So I'm just going to keep on going. But this continues with this restored blessing and restored glory with verse 24. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay. And if your Bible says restore, let's use that word because we're talking about restored glory. I will restore for the years that the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, and we saw these phrases a few weeks ago in our study. This is from the unused root, devourer, and the young locust, ravager, and the other locust and the locust swarm, devourer also, my great army that I sent among you. Uh, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. And so these locusts are glory thieves. These locusts are glory thieves. That's what it's a picture of. And, and that flood in, in, in the, in the, uh, at the alluvial fan area was a glory thief. There were amazing trees growing in there that suddenly were wiped out and made desolate for a time. And, and here with the, with the locusts, they, eating every organic thing, they're glory thieves. Every green thing, every flower is being destroyed. And, and what we need to hear today is that there are devourers at work in our world today. They are glory thieves and they're deceivers and they get us with our entertainment and we watch things and we think it's funny and we hang around with crowds who think what they're doing is funny and, and they have fun when they're with you but then they go home and they face the reality of what they really are and they're being destroyed. And it's being lauded in Hollywood and voted on in Washington. And it's destroying people rather than building up lives. And friend, there's a good possibility. And in fact, every one of us in this room has at some point been affected by the devourer. And therefore, we're not shining. We're not bearing forth the kind of fruit that God has prepared us for and created us for. That's the kind of glory he wants to restore. Okay, I want you to read together with me 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Let's read that together. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Has the devourer wreaked havoc in your life? Recognize the source and stop justifying your sin. And come home to the Lord your God. Charles Spurgeon, this great quote by him, he said, You cannot have back your time. 
But there's a strange and wonderful way in which God can give back to you the wasted blessings. The unripened fruit of years over which you mourned. And you sit there and you think, well, why would God want to bless someone who has rebelled against him? Well, read on, okay, in our text, verse 27. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be ashamed. And I realize that this is talking about the nation of Israel here. But when we read about God's blessing on Israel, what we need to realize is that this is giving us a picture of who God is. And God loves to bless. He really, really does. But how does he bless when we separate ourselves from him? He simply says, come home and let me prove who I am to you. Come home, hear the Lord, hear his call. Come home, come home. Stop your prideful ways and come home. Stop pretending like you've already done this and realize you haven't and come home. Come home, come home to blessings. The Holy Spirit's drawing you. Come home, come home. Come home. Receive the Lord. Now, the next five verses, if you get a hold of a copy of the, of the Hebrew Scriptures, you will find that, the next, that, that Joel is composed of four chapters. But our English Bible only has three chapters for Joel. And the difference is, is because these next five verses are given their own chapter in the Hebrew Bible. Now, it's a, it's a bridge. It's a bridge to final events leading up to the Lord's coming, okay? That's, that's what it is. But Hebrew scholars saw this as important enough that when they designated chapters and verse, they gave these five verses their own chapter. And yet the tragedy is in the church in the West, we're trying to undermine the power represented here, and not glorify God in the fullness that he intends. Okay? The early church got this. But we in America and in Europe, we don't get this. And therefore, the church is going forward with, with all kinds of institutions and training and degrees and programs and ideas, and they're not going forward in power. And that's the problem. So... I just have to spend a few minutes in these verses, verse 28, and afterward. Now, you know Peter had these verses memorized. In fact, he preaches them almost verbatim, but the Holy Spirit leads him to say them in some, in some unusual ways. And even though he had these verses memorized, and this tells us that these verses were important enough to the Jews that they memorized them and they knew them, so they knew what happened, Right? But when Peter preaches them, he preaches them with a power and a freshness that wasn't like I memorized this and watched me recite it in some kind of Awana program, okay? But it was done with power, and I'm, I appreciate Awana, uh, but, you know, we need both word and spirit. <laughs> yeah, and we have too much emphasis on word and not enough emphasis on spirit to the point that we're taking glory from the Spirit, who is the glory restorer. And I think we'll see this uh, before this is all over. So, and afterward. But Peter, when he quoted this, he said, in the last days, plural, 
because he wanted you to know this wasn't a one-time event and this is something that's still happening in our current day as we are living in this period of, uh, it, it's a great period of grace to where God is calling everyone who will hear to come, but it's also the time of the Holy Spirit manifestation that we're living in that we can walk in power if we will trust in Him. So in the last days, I will pour out, that, that gives the idea of abundance in the original language, I will pour out my spirit on all people. <clears throat> now, last week, we went to my daughter Carlin's college graduation. Can you believe that? I'm too young to have a college graduate. <laughs> you agree, right? No. Doug doesn't agree. Thanks a lot, but Can you find a further back seat next week? <laughs> anyway. On, on the way to the farm, or on the way to the university, she went to Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Uh, we stopped at the farm to pick up Valerie's mom and dad. Well, they're in right now the season of latter rains, okay? It's time for the winter crops getting close to be harvested. They want their harvest in by the 1st of July. But the rains have not been cooperating, which is pretty typical for them because it's dry land farming, okay? When we were on our trip, they got 7,000 seven one-hundredths of an inch. I mean, that's how closely they watch this. But it's not enough. It's not enough to raise the heads of that wheat. And so the wheat is looking brown and it's starting to sag, okay? Man, farmers knew faith. And when our country was agrarian, we knew faith. That you stick those seeds out there in hundreds of hundreds of acres and then you depend on the elements to raise them up. And that's where they live. People who call on God every day together. Well, we live in a dry and weary land. But the good news is we don't have to wait for it to rain because Jesus said the source is readily available. Readily available. In fact, I have another scripture I want you to read with me. This is from John chapter 7, starting with verse 37. Let's read it together. If anyone is thirsty, stop. Is your head sagging this morning? Are you feeling kind of dry, honestly, between you and God? I mean, you got on the right church clothes, but is your head sagging really, and are you dry? Let's start over again. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Are you dry? Are you thirsty? Is your head sagging? Come to Jesus. He's the source of the Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus and drink. Come to Jesus and drink. Did you notice in verse 28, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That doesn't mean all-inclusive. Everyone. As some are teaching today, even though there will come a time when we're in his presence and the fullness will be realized, but what he's talking about is he's talking about his spirit being poured out without discretion. No discretion of age. No discretion of gender. And no discretion of race. 
on all people, all who will receive. This is what he's talking about. Now watch how he emphasizes the no discretion aspect as we go on. He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So no discretion of gender. Everyone can receive a fresh word from the Lord and speak it. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So the Holy Spirit does not discriminate based upon age, right? Dreams and visions were commonly known as the ways that God would speak to people, and he's still speaking to people today. Dreams tend to come when we're sleeping. Old men fall asleep in chairs. And some of them are sleeping right now. (laughs) And when they wake up, we're going to ask them, give us a word from God. (laughs) Visions tend to come in the daytime. Young men are active, and suddenly God stops them in the midst of their busyness and gives them a fresh word. Yeah, so no discretion for age. Even, and, and the even here is so important. It's like, even on your servants, both men and women, so uh, it doesn't matter where you are socially, right? But then again, men and women, again, genders emphasize, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's the Holy Spirit. And, and it's saying here that, that even slaves can be, receive the fullness of God. That was unheard of because in studying the Old Testament, it was the people who had significant positions. It was the prophets. It was the priests. It was the kings who received the Holy Spirit. But in these latter days, it's going to be all who will receive. And today, I'm afraid that the poor are receiving the anointing of the Spirit faster than the people with all the degrees who are called reverends or doctors or whatever, and they're putting their MDivs behind their name. God keep us in a place where we need His fullness. And this is such a fascinating passage. It, it hung in the balances for some 800 years before it was fulfilled, and we can see it in the second chapter of Acts. The Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost, the day of first fruits, first fruit harvest. This is the day. And we tend to hear the day of Pentecost and we say that's the day the Holy Spirit was pointed out, poured out, but we fail to realize it was initiated way back in the Old Testament and it marked a season of the first fruits. And here in chapter Acts, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and preaches one of the all-time great sermons and 3,000 people come to faith that day because the word was being preached with power. Here he is quoting from these five verses. He's quoting them just as fresh and you can ima- as, you, as you can imagine. Friend, if the church of the West were to be looked at as a, a, a potential harvest of wheat, the final harvest is about ready to happen and we're dried out and our heads are sagging. And we're not benefiting from the Holy Spirit that God has made available And God wants to give us a fresh, a fresh anointing. Listen, the Holy Spirit. Are you guys in ritual mode today? Should we just like, you know, say the Apostles' Creed or something? The Lord's Prayer. Are you guys eating this up? Huh? I mean, I've studied this stuff and I'm eating it up. But, but listen, the Holy Spirit 
this emphasis right here in Joel, the Holy Spirit is restored glory. When man was created, he was placed in the presence of God and he shared in God's glory. But when he bought into the lies of the devourer, the glory stealer, he was removed from God's presence. And guess what? The glory's gone. We don't shine like God intended for us to shine. So God, in his infinite kindness and mercy, has Solomon build this amazing temple. And when the power of God fell on that place, it was so strong that people couldn't even bear to look at it. Couldn't stand in his presence. But when they forgot God and his blessing, they became Ichabod. And the spirit departed, and the glory of Israel, we've seen it. Devastated Jewish people. What has happened? They removed themselves from God's presence. But the wonderful thing is, the scripture says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in you so that the glory for which God intended you for you is restored. And that is the message today. It's the message of restored glory. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. That's Psalm 3.1, and you can check it out later. Oh, God. Oh, God. We come to you, Jesus, just as you said. We are thirsty. We are thirsty. We are thirsty. And we may not even realize how thirsty we are. We've got all the answers when we go to Bible class. We can even correct people who get it wrong. But we're thirsty. And our heads are sagging. And you're coming for the final harvest. So we come to you. And we drink. We drink up in your presence. We receive you. We receive your fullness. We receive you. We receive your fullness. Fill us now, oh precious God. Make us whole. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us. We, we agree with you, Lord. We've been compromising. We've been drinking some from some wrong sources, and we've kind of bought into the lies of the devourer. We're coming to the wrong sources for drink. And it's drying us up. We're drinking soda pop. And it's eating out our stomachs. And we're not drinking of you. We're drinking something that looks like the right source, but it's killing rather than bringing life. And it's because we're so affluent that we have all sorts of things we can drink from. And our affluence has made us so busy that we have no time to pause and enjoy your presence. Come in power, Holy Spirit. Fill your people. Fill your people. Let us know what it means to truly know you and be known by you. To know your voice and to respond to your voice. That's not superficial stuff. It's real stuff. Teach us to move where you're moving. Give us a great boldness that can only come from the fire that you've breathed forth in our souls. 
We want to be like you. Restore. Restore our glory. Restore our glory. We don't want to just go through the motions of church, Lord. I say restore our glory. Probably be better stated, restore your glory to us. Restore your glory to us. Fill us, O God, we pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I wanted to continue, but I'm feeling like I can't, so too bad for me. And I don't know what that means for next week. We'll have to come back and see. The power of restored glory.